Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast with your hosts, Brian Lee and Justin Peterson. Happy New Year, Justin. Well, Happy New Year, Old Lang Syne. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. How are you? How was your holiday? It was fine. It was it was fine. It was it was quiet uh, mm-hmm. relative to how it was going to be. Um, actually, uh, had had COVID sort of <laughs> intrude on some party plans and things like that. So so uh, we didn't have people over. And kept it very small scale, but we've celebrated some stuff with family before that, which was cool and nice. Yeah, and you were out on your big trip. I was. I was in KC. We had a good time. Um, New Year's, we... Oh, I went over I went over to my best friend's house. Um, my my best friend from sixth grade uh, on through high school. Oh, wow. And uh, we, we were in all the plays together and all the musicals together. And we went over. And she has six wonderfully bright and funny and amazing kids. And we just went over and with her husband. And it was me and a, a bunch of her, her, well, her kids, her kids' friends from school. And... We just had the, a ball. We just had a blast of a time. And um, it was just wonderful. And uh, laughed and just, she, she makes a mean Moscow mule. So, Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's great. So, yeah, we had a great time. Counted it down and that was about it. And, uh, but, yeah, it was, a great, it was a great holiday. You know, last year I was home. Uh, well, I stayed in Boston because of the, the, the Rona. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year was nice because I really got to go home and have fun and be present with my family. And it was just a really lovely, lovely con- um, reconnecting. Uh, yeah. So it was a great time. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, I was uh, excited that we got, I got to podcast from my brother's house in Jeff City last time we were meeting. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was neat. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry for the noise because my family was very jealous. They're like, get in here. Get in here and have Christmas with us. <laughs> well, and it's so funny. Right before we hit record, it was like quite lively there, but but oh, then yes. they they were quite quiet. They mellowed. My family, you know, so if there's you know if people listen to an episode and they hear you know a bunch of noise, just know that's my family. My, yeah, my, yeah. My, my my brother, my sister, my my sister-in-law, and my nephew. So wonderful. Yeah, it was good, but it was it was great to sort of breach that conversation about uh, you know upper education or higher education, and uh, and we thought we'd continue our chat about curriculum and curriculum building. Yeah. Yeah, a few years ago, um, we both read a book um, by Peter Harrison, who is a pedagogue from, well, originally from England, and I believe he retired to somewhere on the continent, right? I Was think he's it? in Portugal. Yeah, I think Portugal. I, I yeah. think he lives in Portugal now. Yeah. So uh, he has written two amazing books on vocal pedagogy. And the I think it was the second one that we're going to discuss tonight, right? Was it yeah. the second yeah. one? So he lays out uh, possible curriculum for a school for singers. And some of his ideas are outside of the box and wonderful, I think. Mm. So I, I think he, you know, there's, I've spoken to people that have worked with, with Peter mm-hmm. and I don't know Peter from anybody, but I, you know, it's one of those pe- he's one of those people that you, I have such great esteem for in his writing and how he thinks about the voice. I would say I definitely have patterned a lot of my own thinking and value systems around his beliefs um, because he's been had a really influential uh, part in my sort of form, formulation of my own ideas about singing. Um, but uh, he, I think he was always kind of an iconoclast. I think he was always one of those kind of people who was outside of the machine or outside of the factory and, and didn't want training a voice to become this sort of uh, 
mechanistic sort of, you know, uh, well, I have to leave for the lack of a better word, factory sort of thing where you sort of produce singers. Um, yeah. And his books are, he, he has two books. Um, uh, this book that we're going to talk about tonight is Singing Personal and Performance Values and Training, which are just sort of thinking about creating a program of, of training for singers and what that would look like. But I just, I really appreciate his holistic view. I appreciate the fact that he takes a very broad look at the voice. And he does consider it from a classical tradition, but his view is, is very broad. And I think he really does connect to a lot of what I have sort of found in the training of the oldest uh, schools of singing, which was uh, predicated upon that potentialization of the voice, that, that we create a voice that's able to do lots of different things, not just one uh, dramatic singing or you know lyric whatever it was it, there's a lot the potential of the voice it was much more flexible and wasn't he the the uh, author where we sort of first ran into a phrase similar to uh genre agnostic training yes. yes, yeah i think so i think so yeah he definitely has that all over his books he's very holistic they're, they're so good oh, they're so good yeah yeah the thing that i really like about him he talks about there's a chapter and there's so many nuggets of wisdom but one of them is this idea about mixed objectives where you have you're working at cross purposes in many academic situations when you're trying to make a voice function and make that voice struggle with music at the same time. So yes. you know that, you're, that not that music making is not really happening, but also good vocal training is not happening either because the voice is constantly in a state of struggle. It's never in a place of like uh, ease or you know working the voice and working the function of the voice. <clears throat> the voice always has to be prepared for some jury. So. It's always hobbling along. It's never yeah. that the voice can never really bloom or grow because there's just too many objectives that have to be met by the upper, uh, you know, upper education programs. That uh, it's almost uh, amazing that anybody can make it through. Oh, I know. Yeah, and he he has this thing that is really cool. I think about if a voice, you know, is still being built, what are some things that you can uh, do to in the meantime and how what are some skills that will relate to singing later that you can still hone uh before the voice itself is built and he had some really cool ideas about um things like uh recitation mm -hmm. and stage presence and th uh, things related to uh acting and movement really mm -hmm. cool stuff yeah. well we have this curriculum in front of us here and he had, he proposes a uh, three-year really intensive curriculum, and this would be this is a very um, sort of uh, there's not distributed studies. You know, there's no there's no like uh, Western civilization requirement in here, but right. in the world of performing, it's incredibly broad within performing, and so. Um, do you want to talk about the entrance requirements column yeah, first? Yeah, yeah okay. because what we can kind of do as we go through this, we can talk a little bit about what the hours would also look like, too. Yeah, you know, In yeah, terms great. of, like, timing put in. Uh -huh. But so the entrance requirements... So, and here's why we, I think this is interesting, because this is... You could, you could create your own singing school. Right. I mean, if a voice teacher wanted to do such as that and wanted to create something <laughs> as an alternative to the academic model... <laughs> One could do that. And I think, many, I think many artists are going to start springing up and this is going to start happening. I think this is the wave of the future for classical singing is, mm -hmm. is, is independent, independently run singing schools once again, either in a small groups or, you know, like a coterie of people. But, um, yeah, so here are the requirements as he has laid them out. The first thing is obviously the voice. <laughs> mm -hmm. There has to be some obvious talent 
uh, to the voice there. Um, the second quality in the entrance requirement would be a musicality, would be musicality, an obvious talent for or feel for music. And then with that would come along musicianship training of some kind, aural awareness, a harmony and counterpoint. And he uses the, uh, I think it's the AB, oh gosh, I'm, I'm not up with the UK system, the ABRC, whatever that is. ABRSM. Yeah, that up to grade seven. So he wants, he thinks that the entrance requirement should have at least up to a grade seven of harmony and counterpoint. And as well as a second study instrument at least up to grade five in that mm-hmm. ABRSM program. Uh, a student should have a requirement of history, which he doesn't really go into uh, historical perspective with regard to different styles. So that's kind of what he's, he's alluding to there. Mm-hmm. Um, language, so that the student should have a feeling for language. Um, and then a language requirement, which is one of German, French, or preferably Italian, in addition to the native tongue. And a good working uh, knowledge of English should be obligatory in English-speaking countries. Um, and then finally, he left, lists fitness here. And he just talks a little bit about, you know, students should be at a, a healthy weight and, and make sure that there isn't anything that would stand in the way of uh, hard vocal training, sort of training the body. So, yeah. So those are the entrance requirements. Yep. And so it's interesting to ponder how a student would get to those requirements you know how they would meet them i mean i like harmony and counterpoint to grade seven that's interesting because because that that is a level that singers almost never have going into our colleges yes well i think it's because we in america don't have as rigorous a program as something like the royal conservatory of music in canada or the abrsm we just don't have that for independent voice teachers in our country right I think at one point, maybe five years ago, Nats and, the, and Carnegie Hall were trying to create some sort of a program that was like that. Yeah, States. and it's kind of reinventing the wheel because what, what really works fine is people here are using ABRSM or yep. they're using the Canadian one, which is very similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, that uh, uh, there was a community school I taught at here that uh, was using the, the Royal Canadian uh, thing and and it has a you know a theory and counterpoint component along with performance um, levels and all yeah. that and th- that would get you there as far as these um, these requirements and um, the languages that's that's an interesting thing too always a challenge here where uh, we're, we're such a huge uh, country that it's easy to be monolingual and mm-hmm. uh, we don't really get terrific. Um, Let's, I wonder what he says here. He doesn't really say about fluency in nope. those languages, but um, yeah, people need a working knowledge. Yeah. Well, cool. So the rest of the chart has four more columns. The second column is curriculum, and so it's kind of like the categories of study. Right. And then he, he, the next columns are year one, year two, year three, how each of those categories would be implemented in terms of time and timing so um voice uh just you know right off the bat there we see this is this is throwback to like what we talk about from bel canto days um year one 10 to 30 minutes of voice training twice daily (laughs) depending on the individual 
begin singing when ready. So it says at least four days per week. week. And so it's very interesting, beginning singing when ready. So there may be a step even before any singing Yes. in terms of, of getting a voice capable. That's really interesting. And, and 10 to 30 minutes twice a day. Yeah. So you're getting an hour with your teacher every single day broken up in the more you know by either the morning or the afternoon 10 minutes a day or 10 to 30 minutes a day yeah. and that's something i've always thought you know i've always pushed for that in academia because they won't do it but you know it's it's why you're there you're there to study voice so why shouldn't you be taking voice lesson a day even if it's just 10 minutes or you know 15 or 20 minutes yeah so this has 10 to 30 so it's not we're not no. talking about a huge thing but but um yeah one of my teachers david christopher who's really into the like how to structure training um you know the thing he says is with some students he wishes he almost doesn't want them to practice because he wants them to have supervised practice yes <laughs> well i mean unsupervised practice for singers is really a rather modern idea uh-huh i mean yeah. just didn't ha- you didn't didn't open your mouth that you didn't have your teacher there watching your every utterance yeah you know you didn't have you didn't practice by yourself in these older models you didn't practice by yourself yeah you yeah, were always supervised. It, that was the thing that would come much later. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Well, and yep. so that's... So that's just voice. And then by the time they would get to like, you know, year, you know, four or five or, you know, their higher levels, then you would do a 45-minute lesson three times a week. Fantastic. So a beginner would get more lessons every day mm-hmm. and a more advanced student would get less, would get mm-hmm. more time with the teacher, but they would only have three week, uh, lessons a week. Mm-hmm. Three a week. Can you imagine? What just, a luxury. Oh, if in college uh, I could have had three voice lessons a week. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I would have gotten some things figured out, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but just, I mean, you know, for a lesson a week, that's what, it, I mean, or maybe two a week. But, shoosh, you know. Yeah. I just, I just think that's a fantastic. I do think that's fantastic. And people say, oh, that's so hard. But I think, well, yeah, and. <laughs> well, the thing the thing about this curriculum, people say, "Oh my God, this would be so hard to 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 reform a school of music to do this." Well, but if you start from scratch and you have the same kind of dollars available, because mm-hmm. the present system is bloody expensive. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. The, I, it'd be so interesting to see this done. But I think you're right. It would have to be like new, new instant. Well. Not even dare you call them institutions, but new schools of singing yes. that that are devoted to this kind of um, this kind of work. This kind, yeah, yeah. So let's see. That was that was uh, item A out of it goes A through S, and of course voice comes first. Uh, right. Makes sense. Interesting. The choice for number two and number three relate to rhythm and rhythmic movement. Um, yes. uh, part B is rhythm, dancing, mm-hmm. drumming, body music. Yes, like Delcros or those kind of things, right? Yeah, kind the of. the uh, right the the Eurythmics as an alternative to drumming or body music where required. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they kind of have have them as um, and or uh, possibilities, and once again, several times a week, two or two or three days a week. Yeah. 40, uh, uh, a yeah, forty-five minute session, like a whole, you know, a, a whole period for it. Yeah, the dancing or the dancing courses would be, you know, three times a week, forty-five minutes, uh, in years one and two, and then years three, you would do it twice a week for an hour, and then same with the year four and five, you do 
two uh, days a week at 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then drumming uh, would be mostly like in your years one and two or your rhythmics. Yeah. And you would do those two classes a week at, for 45 minutes mm-hmm. of, of, of that. <clears throat> yeah. I'd like to know more about your rhythmics. It's a, it's a, uh, it's something I know that is uh, more popular in Europe than here. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we studied it in my music ed program, um, it sounded it sounded really fabulous um, because it has to do with embodying music. Yes. Um, yeah. Section D is a big thing for Harrison. Uh, listening. Um, Harrison mm-hmm. actually used to have courses about listening for teachers, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, listening workshops. Listening workshops. I yeah. just think that's the coolest concept, and I've never seen one over here. Not in the U.S., not in the United States. Yeah. Never a listening workshop. Can you imagine? Brian, there's our, there's our million-dollar idea right there. Yeah. We'll just host listening workshops. What do you do in these li- workshops? We listen. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, there's a market for it. Let's do it. You know. <laughs> um, but we've always talked about the importance of listening. Yeah. So this is geared towards students, you know, not teachers. So so in year one, he has a based on vocal repertoire and style, um, individual and group assignments, analyze material in class. He, and he devotes three 60 minute sessions a week to it in yeah. the first two years, which would gosh, that's that's a whole bunch. That's wonderful. Yeah. A lot of listening would be a part of the curriculum. Yeah. Listening to singers, listening to style, listening to harmony counterpoint history uh all that kind of stuff yeah but you know we were always talking about how important it is to listen you know and and that he built that into the curriculum and listening would also help with some of the you know we so many times have heard people argue about the terminology of voice pedagogy and Mm -hmm. why can't we agree on terms well this would be a place where if everyone is listening then they could learn about the, the gamut of terms that may apply to certain kinds of sounds or styles or what have you right you know um if 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 everyone was listening more and worrying less about nomenclature you know it it would really help the communication i mean just for us to agree on what we're hearing yeah you know are we hearing the same things i mean this is you know i go back to that um there was a i won't say the name but there was a voice teacher in new york who was working with some of his students and they would bring him their students, and he would work with their students, and then they'd leave, and the, the teacher would, would say, you know, what are, what are they hearing? What are they hearing? You know, he couldn't figure out what his own students were hearing that they couldn't fix what was so obviously an issue in the voice. Like, why, why, are you, why can't you hear what's going on? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> but again, I think, again, that puts us in that area of the subjective rather than the objective. Which is why we maybe we need to use spectrograms and charts and analysis to be able to go. This is what's officially happening, rather than what is actually transpiring in, before us. Yeah, there's actually no place in this curriculum for science per se. No, but or pedagogy, an, or pedagogy. An introduction oh. to, you know, there, there could be certainly be scientific elements brought into listening, you know, and and teaching young singers that there is, you know there are objective measures of the voice and there's all kinds of subjective talking about the voice and just being exposed to different people's ways of, of listening also, yeah. you know, and yeah. that would really be cool. The next uh, item is improvisation, 45 minutes twice weekly. Yeah. And 
I would need to there's improvisation I presume it means uh vocally, but as we get further through the list, one can assume less and less because he has a lot of non singing performance work in here and so this yes. improv could be some other stuff so it would be just theatrical improvisation yes yeah. exactly improv exactly. yeah yeah improvisation just to get the just to get that sense of spontaneity mm-hmm. on the stage that ability mm-hmm. to be spontaneous right mm-hmm. mm. yeah that's pretty cool and then then here he uh item f he puts in the second study instrument and uh concentrating on musicianship and yeah. The, it's interesting the way the term musicianship is used among the different instruments. Um, on the flute, for example, which you know I did a BM and MM on flute, uh, musicianship to them, to flutists, often means learning how to sing with your instrument. And musicianship for singers means knowing how to do notes, rhythm, read scores, uh, prepare music yourself. <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. Like each each is trying to pick up what the what, the what they lack from the other area but um let's see that's 45 minutes twice yeah, weekly 45 minutes twice a week on your on your second instrument mine was piano mm-hmm. uh, that was that was the one that i studied the most but then coaching which he has on this list that doesn't really start until the third year of your tuition yeah so the first two years of your schooling you don't get coachings those really only happen for the more, you know, third level and up, third, third years and up. Well, and this reflects his lack of emphasis on uh, working on repertoire and building a repertoire early on. Yeah. He, he totally does not value that. And, um, you know, kids who are not singing a selection of standard repertoire for juries aren't going to need coaching, no. per se, as and, we understand it. Yeah, and audition classes start the second year but really only for those students who are most advanced or sufficiently advanced enough to take them so that may preclude a lot of students from coming in and and being in that class but he says that in in year three all students will audition at the outset of the year then one once each month depending on on capacity i'll tell you in my undergrad doing mock auditions was a terrific learning experience yes uh, I love that idea of monthly. Yes, once a month. Um, and uh, especially auditioning at the beginning of the year. Uh-huh. You know, that one of the, there are a lot of programs in the, in the U.S. That for music that will do, a, I don't know if it's called a pass-through, but you in the vocal performance, you have to audition, I think, at the beginning, of, either at the end of your sophomore year or the beginning of your junior year to stay in the, the track. And that's in, in all instruments, track. in all the schools. All four of the music schools I went to were like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a sort of a just, you have to kind of say, I don't want to say justify your existence, but, but you kind of have to justify your existence. I mean, can you, do, do they, does the faculty believe that you are able to continue in the track as a well, performance major or not? A couple Which I of think schools. is actually kind. It's actually yeah. very kind yeah. because you're saving those people money and they, giving those people a chance to figure out another path if they need to, rather than be like, oh no, we're just going to bilk you out of more money. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's a very kind thing to do to people. Yeah. They used to call it continuation at a couple of my schools. Mm, okay. And, uh, yeah, t- it totally makes sense. Yeah. So. The, the next yeah. one is my favorite out of the whole <laughs> list. Clowning. Yeah. 60 minutes, first thing Monday morning, with an exclamation mark. And he has that for the first two years. Yeah. Clowning class. Just first thing Monday morning. Oh, my God. Clowning. What's that about, Justin? 
Well, I would imagine it would probably have to do something with like even well, I think Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey kind of training or something where uh-huh. some sort of freeing up of oneself to be silly. Uh huh. You know, I, and Brian, I think this goes to that idea about the what you know, we've often talked about neuroticism in singers, and I, these kind this kind of clowning work could go a really long way to helping singers free themselves to be silly and to not be perfect in front of and an audience. And it's nonverbal, basically. It's I probably, mean, most clowning yeah. is nonverbal. Right. Right. Which totally takes a singer into another mode. Yeah. Yeah. And just that idea of being silly. Uh-huh. There's something about, you know, even if you don't do silly parts or whatever, but the ability to be silly in front of people and to let yourself be seen yeah. as, as silly. Yeah. Which can help with stage fright. Yes. You know, just that idea of like, oh, I, you know, I, it's fine. I'll just go out and be silly. You know, it's no big deal. Um, just, and, and, I, and that, that there's laughter involved, right? That there's, there's a feeling of, you know, they'll get those endorphins going, right? That there's happiness involved mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the music making or in the, in the act of learning to be a singer. So many of those singers were happy. I keep thinking about Emily de Gallicurci, you know, and all those older Italian singers who were so dang happy all the time. You know, mm-hmm. how like Pavarotti, like they're just, just happy people. And oh yeah, some of them, you know, like um, some people who didn't even have terrific lives, they glowed on the stage. I mean, that that was something Beverly Sills explicitly talked about. Mm. You know, she's like, she's like, uh, you know, everyone assumes I'm happy. She says, I'm not happy, but I am cheerful. And mm. when she's on stage, the the joy just lights up her face, yep. you know, because cause she loved the stage and she loved singing. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you get that sense of joy, I do, in, in some of my favorite singers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for the next sort of curriculum he has listed here, performance, which he's put in parentheses, acts, um, which I would assume would be maybe vignettes of pieces or maybe art song or maybe opera scenes or musical theater, you know, scenes or different things like that, because he didn't does list here in year one, um, individual and duos. So I'm, I'm imagining that that's some kind of scene work from, from, uh, the freshman sort allegedly the freshman year, right. Or the first year. Yeah. And I, and I wonder, I'll confess, I haven't read the book proper for a couple years um i wonder if it might also include in the beginning some performance that is also not singing could be yeah like I, I, i'm not sure yeah. but um yeah. yeah let's see next item is alexander technique 30 yeah. minutes a day depending on need yep. and then for the and he really wants years. to list that he says that that's important because it really does help students to monitor their body's efficiency throughout the course mm-hmm. and so he really wants that to be a first year activity yeah that does go on throughout all all of the years of training yeah so that that doesn't stop that alexander technique and alexander work is something always you're doing because of usage because of awareness of movement awareness of how you're using your voice yeah yeah and then language text uh which i'm assuming to mean language work on things like librettos or uh, art song uh, texts or things like that. The actual mm-hmm. actual libretti or the actual words mm-hmm. of the classical musical tradition. Uh, or, you know, even, gosh, anything, really. You could do text of, of musical theater as well. I mean, there's no... Why, why right. Um, but just learning how to... What the text is. And that's 45 minutes a week, three times a week. That's a lot of, that's a lot of work on that. Yeah. Yeah, and towards the end, then in year three, he has 
specific texts related to current repertoire. So, you know, that'd be obviously as you get moved towards your, your final singing requirements. Then his next item, physical expression, in parentheses, yeah. acting, uh, begin term two or three. So after the year starts, 60 minutes, four times a week, though. So four hours yeah. a week of physical acting work. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. And then I do think he says that it, 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 uh, as you advance, it then does tie in with things like the coachings, um, mm-hmm. the audition classes, and then finally the um, the performance classes as well. It's sort of kind of, they all roll in together as one sort of thing. And then stagecraft, another another um, curriculum class. Now this is, you know, I've often, so years ago I was uh, um, working out uh, at a teacher's conference with uh, Seth Riggs, who was at LA Teacher, you know, out in LA. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Seth Riggs said about um, becoming an opera singer today is he said, if I was going to be an opera singer today, I would take a, th- I would be a theater major and find a very good voice teacher. So it's interesting in looking at this in this work that it is so theatrically based. Yes. That this work as a singer in this singing school is based in, thea- in theater and in drama. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see something that really could be reflecting of a ma- an acting program. This yeah, could be a an lot of program. it. Yes, it could. Absolutely. Um, and so it's just, I'm, I'm struck by that remark that Seth made all those years ago. But uh, stagecraft comes up as another curriculum area. Um, and that's what made me think of that Seth Riggs uh, anecdote. But uh, 63, uh, two or three 60-minute sessions a week in stagecraft. And that's really cool. I mean, because really what's expected now in, in the typical university programs in the U.S., you know, they'll get it by being in productions. Yes. Right. I mean, they, it isn't, I don't think they have like named stagecraft courses, do they? Not that, that I I've, remember. That I've Not seen. That I remember. Uh, but no, I do remember having a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it was learned in the, in the, in the moment where, you know, you'd learn about things like cross up stage, cross down stage, uh, you mm-hmm. know, give stage, take stage, you know, all, all those mm-hmm. kinds of things or just how to move on the stage. You and, know? and the roles of all the people who make theater happen you know that that, yes. that was something i had to learn the hard way you know what is mm-hmm. what is an assistant director for what is a you know who how are the the um the costuming and lights and and uh all of the infrastructure that makes you shine created mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that that was uh something i had a very haughty indifference to at age 18 (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and then he has interesting uh item o is presentation yeah i have an idea about that i think that that is when i was in undergraduate we had a weekly tuesday convocation in the music department Mm -hmm. and what it was every week and what we did was it was the entire department got together and we would perform for each other so it would be students who had listed themselves to perform on those convocations mm-hmm. and you would sing your whatever, your songs, your, you know, arias, whatever, and music, other musicians would play. But I would, I would probably see that as a performance sort of class where yeah. students would get up and sing once a week for, for an hour. And so everyone would meet and have a presentation class mm-hmm. and it would just be everybody sings their stuff or whatever they're working on. And so they can kind of workshop stuff in front of people. So that's kind of what I think of that. Uh, mm-hmm. That would probably be that presentation class. And then languages, foreign languages. That starts the first uh, year, and that would be two, two of German, French, Italian 
45 minutes twice weekly, each language. And you would add a third language in your third year of school. So the first two years you would be working. Oh, I see. You pick, like you could do you German either, and French, and French then the third year you'd add Italian or whatever. Add that third, yeah. Yeah. So you could do French and Italian, you could do German Italian, you could do Italian French, whatever, and then just in the third year you would add in that third language. Yeah, boy. Foreign language in Oof. classical singing, that's that's a, such a huge topic. You know, people, whenever people say, well... To what extent should people actually study the languages? And the answer is always more. Yeah. I mean, it's like you can never have too much. Uh, no. Because they, uh, you know, to become great in a language, to become fluent in a language, uh, takes some significant work. And the closer you can get to being able to express yourself in the language, definitely the the quicker your study is going to be of all this foreign language repertoire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, well, and knowing uh, why a composer wrote this word and not that word. Yeah. You know, what, I mean, just what, the selection of words and how the composer chose those words and, or the writer chose those words. And knowing how those words should be colored in sound and how they should sound. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's got, it's got to be more. More, 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 more. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the next curriculum uh, class is meditation. Classes on meditation, which is awesome. And we're seeing more of that mindfulness coming into lots of the... Uh, pedagogy discussions, you know, mindful teaching, mindful, whatever, you know, yeah. it's coming out more and more, but he wants to do it 10 to 15 minutes every day. I see Tuesday through Friday. So, Tuesday so Friday. in that slot where the clown class is on Monday, yep. the other days would be meditation. Yep. And it would be before classes even start. So Very before cool. your day even would begin, you'd come in Monday, you'd clown around. And then on Tuesday through Friday, you would come in and meditate. Kind of cool. Yeah. Nice way to start the day. Nice way to start the day. Just meditate. Yeah. 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 And then outings and aesthetics. I would assume that to be going to see professional productions, going to see mm-hmm. other performers perform. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of this, Brian, really does hit with what the great old Italian singing schools wanted of their students. This yes. idea of listening, this idea of going to see the best of the best, go see the best performances you can see, see mm-hmm. artists, do what you're going to do, was always in the the... the the recipe for those older schools and um it's it's nice to see it you know written here as well as a requirement as a requirement and then finally fitness is the last sort of thing he doesn't really give any sort of specific guidelines on what to do but just says that students should be generally fit throughout the course of their studies they they should keep fit in body and mind so let's talk about that a little bit he he doesn't flesh it out but so to speak, ha ha ha. But um, how, how would how would you define fitness? I mean, I I feel like we've become such sedentary people that yes, I would set the bar pretty low. Meaning just s- some kind of movement every day, some kind Walking. some kind of yeah. you know movement yeah. that makes your heart beat and your body move. Yes, um, yes, yes. I totally agree. Yeah, the uh, old singers who used to talk about their exercise regimens talked about. Well, some of them were more calisthenic, right, than, than mm-hmm. others. But many of them talked about the, the benefits of walking. Yep, I, I've read that a lot. And how many of those old singers would talk about going out and walking, 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 and how that was part of their, mm-hmm. their constitution, like their daily constitution, was to get outside, get fresh air, yeah. and get outside, and get out, get, out, get out of doors. 
Because singers were always complaining about miasmas, remember? <laughs> like these, <laughs> these clouds of bacteria that would like throw, floating through the air. But I think, you know, something in that regard of daily walking. The walking, you know, keeping yourself sufficient. I mean, because performing is not, uh, you know, it's not, it requires a level of stamina and a level of physical um, health. Oh, yeah. And the, I mean, when you, you think know, about you think standing on rakes or when you think about standing on different things on stage or running up staircases or running down staircases yeah. or wanting, you know, going to one side of the stage or falling over or doing right. any number of combat maneuvers that might need to be, need to be done, and, you know, it's just intensely needs a physically present body. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, but I like that he doesn't say, oh, you have to do this or... You must weigh that. I mean, that's you know, it's there's right. no prescriptive on that. Yeah. But just that, that there should be some physical activity for participation and and curriculum in the, in the program. Mm-hmm. So I think you know this is this is a great model for the person who would want to uh, build a program, build a singing school, literally a school of cantorum. Yeah. And what that would look like. And that's very different from the clouding up. And this would be more probably conservatory, what we, they would do in conservatory. Yes. But it's much more prevalent than the sort of clouding up with, like, liberal arts classes or science classes or literature classes or math or any of those numbers of things that I took as an uh, undergraduate when I had my liberal arts degree. Because I didn't go to a conservatory. I went to a liberal arts program. Um, but Me too. This is, yeah. This is all, I mean, this would be an extensively vocally oriented uh, program. Mm-hmm. But many people are doing this now. I think many people, that many people in Europe are doing this. There are some. The, Frederick Hussler was was one of the people that did things like this. In, in I think in Switzerland, where he had a, a literally a singing school, and that's what and that's exa- this is exactly what they did. These kinds of things, all day, every day, in and out. Yeah. Well, it's it it's very interesting to see what someone comes up with who is thinking outside of how could I shoehorn this into a university program? Right. Or, or you look at this and you think, well, how could this inform my university program? And it's like, well, it could to an extent, but you can never really execute this within a university. No. The way, the way resources are allocated and with the way uh, degree requirements are and, and stuff like that. There, there are right. some interesting schools um, that have, usually this is at, so-called graduate level but like the artist diploma mm-hmm. kind of thing or the performer's certificate kind of thing mm-hmm. the, those programs don't really exist at an undergraduate level um, mm-hmm. so much but like some of the Canadian schools are three-year programs like I have I have a friend who uh, teaches in uh, British Columbia at a, a music school that has a three-year program and it's geared toward um non-classical stuff Mm. um but i don't know what you get at the end i mean it's not called a bachelor's degree it and it may have some maybe some other like degree that's not associates or bachelors i'm not sure about that Mm. but it's interesting that that peter harrison here also does a three-year program so um Although his, he does talk about years four and five, which would probably just be expansions of uh, of that. So, you know, he'll he'll do... Yeah. Mm, 
more performance-oriented stuff mm -hmm. in, those, in years four and five, where you're mm -hmm. really doing a lot of rehearsals, you're doing a lot of private study, you're doing audition workshops, you're doing you know, self-arranged second, second instrument work. So really kind of hitting the, hitting the ground running there in that fourth and fifth year. Yeah. This is really quite, um, you know, it's a, a vocational school kind of mm -hmm. idea for arts, which yes. is really cool. Um, it would be an arts trade school is what exactly yeah, what it would be. arts trade school. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, wish I think uh, and we should think about that. I mean, we, culturally, we know that, you know, just even the, in the academic model of today, that more and more people probably should be going to trade schools anyway. They come out with less debt. They come out you right. know, ahead of the, of, the, of the game when it comes to their finances. Yeah. And they have a skill that they can put to use right away. Yeah. So perhaps arts trade schools are the future mm -hmm. in, in whatever genre that would be, a Broadway arts trade school or you know, a classical music trade school or whatever, mm -hmm. as, they, as they always were, Brian, as they always were. Yeah. That's always what the model was, that they were trades to be learned yeah yeah when you read about the old from florence onward you know uh mm -hmm. into the the 1800s i think somewhere we sort of departed uh after uh, once the paris conservatory got up and running and then colleges said ah let's grab pieces of conservatory into our programs mm -hmm. and then it's been a struggle ever since man Th these kids oh, yeah. get pulled a million directions and they don't get as much contact time in actual voice training as they should and oh well my like goodness. we said that last time we talked the, the earliest training in the united states of america for musicians was to be trained to make music in the church so mm -hmm. you were going to be funneled into the church you were going to have some kind of a church job somewhere in music yeah. You'd have a gig. You'd have a gig. Yeah. You'd have some kind of gig. You'd be like, okay, yep, I'm going to make music for the church, and that's what you did. They didn't train opera singers in the United States in the in the 1700s and 1800s. Yeah. That didn't happen. Singers had to go to Europe to get all that kind of training, but they did have musicianship training and singing training for people who wanted to be church musicians or again tradesmen. Yeah. And tradeswomen, you know, in the in the United States. Now I have seen some masters programs are much more close to getting to the point and 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 being more well I, I was thinking about like at university of iowa there were um they had a huge organ program when i was there they had two full-time organ professors um that has faded i know a lot but but a lot of what it, uh, you know like uh studying liturgy and liturgical music um was a big part of it and they had to do things the organists had to do things like be able to play multiple keyboard instruments they had to be able to improvise uh, they had to have a working knowledge of Latin. They had to, you know, there th there was a bunch of stuff you can do on a master's degree, and mm -hmm. especially an MM degree, um, you know, that that does finally get to the point. But, um, you know, the the uh, the undergrad American model of university of liberal arts, um, you know, I, I love the liberal arts part of it, mm. but. At a crucial time in a young artist's training, to have this kind of curriculum like Harrison yeah. has yeah. could make you such a stronger performer sooner. Completely agree. Strike while the iron's hot, you know. Exactly and, right, yes. And the student would never be struggling with things that most academically oriented students today have to struggle with, which again is are those mixed objectives. Yeah. I have to build my voice, but I also have to learn to play my voice at the same time that I'm building it. So I'm not really going to 
I'm not going to feel really great about my voice, but I'm also not really going to feel great about my music making. <laughs> oh, we should, we, yeah, we should reemphasize the point we talked about at the beginning. And in this curriculum outline, he doesn't talk about it, but in the book he talks about, get the pressure off students to, you know, when they're coming in from high school into your program, you know, they've been allowed in because they have potential. So mm -hmm. believe in that potential and don't yeah. start requiring formal juries right away right you know there's nothing in here about about juries, juries with rep no. requirements no um and that's and he explains that in the book that when when you are building a young voice a young growing voice um that's just not the right uh, that's no. not his value it's uh well and because he takes in so much of the psychological yeah as the development of music making that the student isn't forced to make these inten intensive uh, tests of of themselves right away, yeah, which can create neuroticism, which can create a person's you know stage fright and fear and anxiety around around performing. Rather yeah. than rather than I'm ready, let's go. I've been practicing. I'm ready to do it. You know that that enthusiasm to perform, rather than the terror of performing. Yeah. So well, I yeah. think back to freshman juries. Um, you know, right from the get go, you're you're in school for for 15 weeks and then you're going to be graded on how you compare to a professional polished product right. on professional repertoire. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, yeah, I would just say, you know, anybody who would be interested in this work, I definitely think that you should read Harrison's work for his pedagogical philosophical views and then his practical views in that second book, which sort of, sort of outline his, boots on the ground, what would that look like? What would a good training program of voice look like um, on its own? So um, definitely would recommend listeners to check out that book. It's a great one. It's a good one. I, rec I recommend it all the time. It's also um, one of my top favorites, I think, of all the books on singing that I have. It's probably definitely my top favorite. Yeah, his first one is called The Human Nature of the Singing Voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has a subtitle of exploring a holistic basis for sound teaching and learning and it's it's a great book i yeah. anyone that would certainly be one i put in my top five of what should be in a uh certainly graduate level voice mm -hmm. pedagogy class um and maybe others it, it's just it's just uh it's so cool because he's talking about stuff that could make all voice training work better but yes. he he's not bowing to academia. Yes, and yes. So, Which is for us as a private teachers, it gives us a, a model that we could consider as well as a private educators. Yeah. To, to offer for our own students, should we desire to be that sort of robust in our work as as teachers. And so, yeah. when I have students, like say college age students who are trying to figure themselves out, like what do I want to do with my life, and mm. I would like to do something with singing. I'll point them to to things like this, to books like these. I like, well, here's some of the here's some of the kind of skills you could develop. Here's all kinds of stuff you can do without being enrolled in a BM program. You mm -hmm. you can do a lot of this. You can seek it out on your own if you really want to. And as you know, like if Manhattan School of Music's a pretty penny for like half the cost, you could get this education for yourself if you're willing to go chase it. I mean, it would be hard. It would be hard to piece mm -hmm. it together, but you could. You could. And you could get what you need and get what you want yeah, as opposed yeah. to, you know, going through a mill of requirements that may or may not serve you. Um, 
Well, in many places in New York City function just that way. There's the HP Studio in, in New York, which was founded by Herbert Berghoff and his wife Uta Hagen, which was a school intended to be that place for actors in New York mm -hmm. City who could mm -hmm. come and continue to work on their craft and develop their techniques um, away from the sort of demands of academia, away from the demands of that sort of environment, that cultural environment. Yeah. So there are precedents in the United States and in mm -hmm. met metropolitan cities for things like this. Yeah. Um, and I think as academia continues to kind of struggle with itself, um, singers will want to find other more maybe affordable options or more tailored options for themselves to yeah. fill that requirement. Yeah. So... I did, this, since I started teaching, I mean, uh, teaching voice, I, over these 15 years, I definitely, oh, 17 years, I definitely, no, 18 years, uh, we're in 2022, <laughs> uh, these last 18 years, I, I've really moved along a scale of, I, I, I don't mean to always diss academia in this podcast. No, of course not. That's not no, what no. I'm about, because no. I love school. I've been in school a lot and enjoyed Same. it. But, um, but the idea that it's not the only way. Yes. You know, and, it's not and the only I, game in town. Yes. And I tell students this and, you know, students, I mean, they are trained in high school, at least in this area, this, you know, fairly wealthy suburban area. There's this idea that you go th through the right institutions and you'll come out at the end in a great place. And you may or may not, you know, it may be for you. It might not be for you. And if a university degree is not for you, it doesn't mean you don't have some kind of terrific potential or can't do other things that are just fabulous. You know, it's like there's a whole gamut of possibilities for training. Yes. And um, Harrison points us to some of these possibilities that yeah. it's like, wow. And even as a private voice teacher, I can look at his curriculum and I can think, you know, this person is, they're very physically reserved. They're kind of closed down. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should recommend that they take whatever a clowning yeah. class a juggling class a a uh, uh you know take up a Improv sport class. or a martial yeah, yeah. art or you know it, it gets you to think about oh what what does this young singer need yes yeah it's pretty yep. cool cool well i definitely recommend that everybody check it out it's a great yep. book peter yeah. t harrison he has two yep. main books that have been out uh i think one of them might only be a nook book I'm not oh, sure. I don't know. They're both in print. They're both in print. I remember, anyway, I got one on uh, print, and I got one uh, out of Nook, and I usually do Amazon. I don't know why I had that impression. But anyway, good books, so yep, get them. Definitely recommend them. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, until we meet again, friend. See you soon. I'll see you later. Okay. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and check us out at thevoiceculture.com. Bye for now.